that time of the year again. While we won't be strolling on Hollywood Boulevard, we will be strolling along West Street and Main Street in Annapolis for the 11th Annual Annapolis Film Festival. From March 23rd to the 26th, you can enjoy more than 70 films, Q&A sessions with filmmakers, panels, coffee chats, and yes, plenty of parties. Tickets and passes are on sale now at annapolisfilmfestival.org. But right now, we're going to give you a taste of things to come as we interview directors and producers of some of the hottest movies on the slate. Hey, on the phone, I'm excited to talk to two people. We've got Ry Levy, who is the director of a film at the Annapolis Film Festival called Out in the Ring. And as a bonus, we have Cheryl Starlakis, who is the executive producer on the film. How are you guys doing today? We're doing great. I'm doing fantastic. You know, well, I tell you, it is always a great time to take a break from our lives that we live on little tiny screens and look at big ones for four days. And of course, I'm talking about the Annapolis Film Festival, March 23rd to the 26th. Um, tickets and passes are available now at AnnapolisFilmFestival.org. But first things first, you want to put this on your calendar to see Out in the Ring, Saturday evening, March 25th at 9.15. And it's going to be at the Boys and Girls Clubs, which is a new venue to be screening films. And it looks to be as fantastic when I was talking to Lee and Patty and they've got a 30 foot screen that's going to come in there. So that's going to be an awesome time to see. Um, we wanted to talk to you guys about Out in the Ring. And I talked with Lee and Patty a little bit and I said that a lot of the films it seemed this year are ones to really sort of make you think maybe get you a little bit uncomfortable and sort of think out of your own little boxes that you're in. And this certainly sort of checks those boxes off. And this is a documentary about the LGBTQ community within professional wrestling, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I came about this project uh, out of an old, old childhood love of wrestling growing up in um, Alberta, Canada, and decided that as a gay filmmaker for my first feature film, I wanted to explore something that not only told a story with about the community, um, the LGBTQIA plus community, but also something that I had a personal connection to that I could dive into a little deeper. And thus, that is how we came to create Out in the Ring. Cheryl, you are local here to Anne Arundel County. How did you connect with Rye up in Toronto? So I met Rye actually at the Cleveland Film Festival. I, um, My husband and I executive produced The Night Watchmen, which was a horror comedy that was shot in Annapolis back in like 2015. And that film was at Cleveland and I met Rye there and I would go to Toronto every year for Hot Docs Documentary Film Festival. And we continued our relationship and Rye has a very long career in the film industry, which he can tell you about. And he, this was his first film and he had launched a crowdfunding campaign and I supported that. And he was submitting it to film festivals and winning film festivals. And I called him and I said, okay, what do you need to get this out and he told me and so I helped him complete the film financially and get it out and it's it's done extremely well and I wanted to have a project with Rye 
He's been a kind of a counselor to me with vetting projects for a number of years. And I had a lot of trust and faith in him. And I'm glad I was a part of this project. And we've got three, two more projects, three more projects um, that we're working on together. And then He's, um, do, we're doing some other work together. And um, so that's how I connected with Rye. Wow. sounds like there's a, a full agenda ahead of, <laughs> ahead of you guys there. That's for sure. Yeah. Now, I'll, I'll tell you about the film, Out in the Ring. And again, that's showing Saturday evening, the 25th at 9.15 at the Boys and Girls Clubs. And I'm not a fan of professional wrestling per se. Has LGBTQ you know, that lifestyle in professional wrestling. I mean, I know there's an awful lot of theatrics that go into wrestling, but, you know, you've got names like Randy Macho Man Savage and everything else. And this was all sort of surprising to me that there is a whole sub-community of LGBTQ. And has that been going on since the dawn of time? Well, I think what we we need to kind of uh, correct there is that there's a sub-genre of of queer wrestlers. I mean, there is certainly a community of LGBTQIA plus wrestlers, much as there is a community of African-American performers or Asian performers and such, uh, you know, developed out of the carnivals in the 1920s and thirties. And before that, of course, out of, you know, out of Greek, out of the Greek uh, Colosseums. But, you know, what, wrestling became was a you know it's simulated combat generally between two men usually in their underwear and what the idea is is you're trying to create one bad guy a heel and one person a face or a good guy a good person and you you want to see one win over the other so the obvious way of creating villainry additional villainry beside them just being two people was to create characters um, that were based on reality. So, um, and, and often negatively, um, you know, race was a frequent, um, you know, usage in the fifties, uh, you, you know, black wrestlers were often portrayed as bad guys. Um, and the same goes for xenophobia. And then of course, homosexuality, you know, the idea of somebody's masculinity or femininity being questioned and, and is, is an easy, is an easy way to kind of, you know, create villainry. So once we get past that villainry, we start to look at the fact that all of there are many people who were gay, who were pro wrestlers, who were hiding often in plain sight, uh, their colleagues knew, but they weren't out to the public. And that is just a general perception of, you know, where we've come in the world. And it's 1940s when we saw the first um, queer coded or gay portrayed characters to today where now we do have not only out wrestlers working at the top of wrestling promotions, but also uh, starting their own promotions uh, that gear towards uh, the LGBTQIA plus um, community. Interesting. Well, I mean, it, it doesn't seem too far removed from any aspect of society uh, as, no. as, as we've evolved. It's not. And one of being a, a straight woman, um, what I found hard to deal with was the fact that you had these gay wrestlers who had to hide their true identity for fear of losing their career or being physically harmed. 
Um, but yet you had straight wrestlers who could come out and portray that they were gay. How prevalent are <clears throat> LGBTQIA plus wrestlers, professionals, actors? Are they actors? Are they athletes? I think they're both. They're both <laughs> actors and athletes. And in terms of the prevalence, um, they are embedded throughout the history of pro wrestling. As I said, going back, you know, wrestlers in the 1960s, I mean, the most powerful man in uh, territorial pro wrestling before uh, the Vincent Mann era when everything was on television and broadcast, we used to have territories. You know, each state or city or market would often have their own local TV and local wrestling, and people could travel from across all of that. Um, and then one of the most powerful men who helped unite and kind of organize and promote those things was a man named Jim Barnett, who was an openly gay man who worked behind the scenes running the wrestling industry and, 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 and encountered incredible support uh, from the men, uh, mostly men, and, and also some of the women in pro wrestling. So there was proof that, you know, as long as you were doing a good job when you were protecting somebody, that most of the wrestlers wouldn't have a problem. On the other side, though, the perception out of the ring is that uh, for many for people, there was a level of discomfort. Um, you know, we were still in the 50s and getting used to, you know, you know, an episode of, you know, of the Dick Van Dyke show with, you know, with Mary and Dick, with Laura and uh, Laura and Dick being in, you know, and Rob being, sorry, Laura and Rob being in bed together. Um, you know, I mean, things like that. I mean, these were, you know, so homosexuality was not going to necessarily be embraced, uh, the, you know, in, so yet despite the support behind the scenes outwardly, it was impossible to be who you were. And it's, it's, it's certainly, uh, you know, even today, to some extent, part of the reason why there are LGBTQIA plus shows so that community, the community can feel safe that those who still don't feel welcome, and we're currently in a political boondoggle where we've seen, you know, rights clawed back and and states, you know, taking away access to, you know, to child, you know, to uh, necessary medical care, uh, and you know, just and and an drag shows being canceled, which is just the most mind-boggling. About that, most of the drag performers that were accessible to media in the '60s, '70s, '80s were all straight guys portraying, you know, straight white guys predominantly, with the exception of Flip Wilson, um, who would play women on TV. I mean, so you know, they didn't have a problem with drag then. Now they do. Um, and it's, I guess you know, the idea is, is that even in wrestling and just in life in general. Uh, the clo- it always seems that the closer we get to making a breakthrough with positive representation and progress and acceptance and inclusion, uh, we always kind of see everything step back because now we're basically fighting to, uh, you know, to hold on. You know, those people are, are, know they're losing a battle ultimately, and they're fighting to hang on for as long as they can before there is no turn back. And that's where most of these performers want to see wrestling go, is that there becomes a place where not only can they be top of the card, they can run their own promotions, they can be outward, outward and sell, and, and do amazing things and prove to the world that, you know, uh, it, while it's important to accept and embrace and present your identity, it's not the only thing that makes you a great wrestler or performer. And as they should be. And today we're in twenty twenty three for crying out loud. I mean, why 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 is this a thing? I don't I don't get it. I think it's well, I think well, it's that, an important movie 
to to see, and and it's an important message to see for sure. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Cheryl. Yeah, no, and that's one of the reasons I embraced this film is it it's not right, and we're not talking about a film that is about you know this subculture that are just gays that are wrestling, you know, it's, it's more than that. It's an important narrative, especially in today's world with, with showing how life is not fair for these people. Oh, and where, you know, that things have changed, but they also haven't. I mean, I didn't. I set out to make a film that told, you know, stories of people within my community who wanted to find a place um, where they should be welcome to work. Um, but at the heart of the stories here, these are all universal stories of struggling with addiction, um, struggling to find a place in this world, uh, fighting against gender bias. Um, all of these things are issues that come up, whether you're gay or straight. Um, but what I wanted to kind of do was not make your conventional advocacy film but make a documentary that highlighted the talents and um, positive, you know, representations that these people bring to the table and the importance of living one's truth. And I think what's happened now is in light of what's happened politically in, in what is happening currently politically and terrifyingly um, across the United States and, and slowly feeding into other countries right now is this, this idea of, you know, of, of hatred and acceptance of people for things that they wear, things that they do and they live, and how they live. And, you know, and, and wrestling, wrestling isn't far off um, from drag in that there are now fears for many independent queer wrestlers that they weren't uh, six months ago, uh, that they may not be allowed on wrestling shows specifically in the trans community where those people now, um, if they're transgender would fall under the law um, in certain, in those certain states that are passing these anti-drag performance laws that they now would be uh, included as cabaret performers, which would mean they would now lose um, a strain of their, a major strain of their income and an ability to live the life and do the thing we want to do for a career. One of the few things that we choose in our life uh, is our ability to um, what we want to do for a living and love and um, and what job we take. And not all of us are afforded the luxury of doing exactly what we dreamed of. And in the case of these wrestlers, they're doing, you know, they're often working a second job, but they are doing what they dream of. And for many of them now, that would mean that in certain states, specifically states like Tennessee and uh, Mississippi, where wrestling is part of those uh, communities um, for met for 60 years um, that they're excluded. We, you know, we're seeing this happen now. And this, now we're going backwards into this. So right now, a film like this ends up becoming an important statement around the idea of what performance and visibility and, and what, where the lines are drawn now. As you're coming on, I'm assuming both of you will be at the film festival this year, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, are you, Ryan, are you, or Ryan, are you sitting on any um, panels or I mean, I'm presuming there's going to be a Q and a after the film. 
There will definitely be a Q&A. Um, we've got some of the uh, DMV regional wrestlers. Actually, we have a few of the LGBTQ wrestlers that live in, in the area there. Um, so they, some of them are appear briefly in the film, either in uh, flashback or photo or in a photo or image or a news article. And so we're delighted to have more and more people become part of that. And I'll be at um, any number of events and panels throughout the whole festival um, during my stay in Annapolis and uh, looking forward to uh, enjoying my time in the, the area. Wonderful. Well, as, as a director, what do you hope to get out of a f- film festival when you take a film to a festival? What do you, what are you looking for? You know, I think that's an interesting thing because I think film festivals serve um, in, uh, in different ways. I mean, you know, if I go to a festival at, in Berlin, like I just did with Cheryl, uh, where there's a giant European film market, I'm worrying about where we're selling the film, who, who's going to be, who's going to see it. And there's, there's a larger picture at hand there. Uh, what's delightful about festivals, which we, you know, we consider them, uh, we call them, re- it's just mostly uh, a, a mark, you know, for a festival that is, is much like a wrestling territory. It's, it's in your community. Your community gets to access those films for a period of time. Uh, before they often come to broadcast or streaming or in theaters, and 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 it's connecting with the various the various different audiences. I mean, I've screened the film in front of predominantly heterosexual audiences, predominantly LGBTQIA plus audiences. Um, there's been uh, you know it's been in front of documentary audiences. And each, you know, in, in each city and market has a different connection to the story and finds something that they really connect with. Um, you know, Cheryl, you know, gave you an example of things that, you know, drew her to the story. Um, everybody just seems to find a different connection to somebody in the film. Something triggers an emotion. Uh, the stories are very emotional. I mean, these are people talking about, you know, being acute, being wrongfully wrongfully accused of sexual harassment, uh, of committing suicide, of transitioning, of dealing with issues around race and gender uh, bias. Um, A lot of this comes with a lot of deep-seated pain and uh, darkness, but through that darkness, these performers are able to find light in the ring and are making changes for the better. I mean, it's better than it was, um, but it's no less it's now, but we're in a new universe now, just even within, you know, within three to five months, every time we seem to screen the film, something significant and transcendent has happened in the world and we've had to kind of deal with it. And right now we're kind of in the face of dealing with, you know, these egregious, you know, uh, human rights violations of people um, in terms of what they can access and who they can live and who can, they can live with and who they can love and marry. Um, I never thought we'd get to the point where we would go this far back, but you know, if this film can be part of that process and I can find an audience and engage and hopefully, and you know, it, have people want to talk about the film more and show it to their friends. then I've achieved everything I can at, uh, at the Annapolis film festival. Fantastic. Well, what's up next for you, Ryan? Yeah, so Cheryl and I um, endeavored to kind of collaborate further. We have a third collaborator. You see, he, he, he in, in life is just the silent guy, and that's our editor, producer, Brad Webb, who without Brad, there would be, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I'm the director, but I'm the third most important person on this. Uh, <laughs> the are obviously, 
or the wrestlers are obviously first and foremost. Um, but Brad really is the one who brings all of my footage together and works with me in assembling that idea and mixing. And, and he's just, you know, he's this kind of silent guy behind a, you know, a giant Mac, you know, um, in his office, you know, mixing, cutting. Um, so we were all so excited about the prospect of keeping, you know, successful world-class documentaries flowing that didn't, you know, with the exception of the pandemic being the real reason why this film was delayed, which ended up being a blessing just because of what happened in terms of, you know, the explosion of queer representation of pro wrestling gave us a whole new, um, new story arc. Um, we decided that we wanted to band together to produce um, documentaries to be made under the $200,000 mark uh, that would reflect um, our personal hopes for the world, social justice and equality, um, and filter that through stories from not only LGBTQIA plus community, but through arts and culture and figure out how to make these films and produce them within a 12 to 18 month period and, and usually two to three at a time and make sure that we're not being sucked into like a lot of countries around the world where documentary filmmakers or filmmakers in general are hindered by uh, government bureaucracy and government granting and programs. And then in the United States, it's mostly I, what I've been if there's one thing I've been impressed about American filmmakers is the the creativity and ingenuity they go through without those grants in terms of using, you know, the concept, you know, this, this using the capitalist model and, you know, private equity and, you know, and then alongside that grant, you know, grant programming. So we wanted to kind of bring these together where we didn't have to spend all of our time waiting around. We could bring something in that if we sold, uh, the path to breaking even and moving on to another project and keeping work going um, would be that much easier at the price point. And we had a team and we brought them together. And I have come together to, um, you know, recently come coming from a, a fairly successful trip to Berlin for the European film market. And um, well, that's where we're headed next is to keep going on, uh, on these projects and um, keep spreading the word about out in the ring uh, before we go to broadcast, um, which we're hoping to be able to announce um, very soon. Again, Out in the Ring, Saturday, March 25th, 9.15 p.m. at the Boys and Girls Clubs at the Annapolis Film Festival. I do recommend everybody get passes, or you can get individual tickets, but passes are really the way to go. But you can get them all at annapolisfilmfestival.org. And I am looking forward to meeting both of you when you're here in Annapolis. I'll hunt you down and find you and introduce myself so I can always put a face with a name. And I appreciate your time. I appreciate all that you guys have done to bring this film together. I mean, I think it's uh, – I've seen the, the trailer, and I will include that in with the show notes. And I think it's just a film that everybody does need to see. It's got a good message. It sort of lays out, I think, based on our conversation, that we have quite a bit ways to go before we are – out of the ring, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank you guys so much. We will see you in a couple weeks. Okay, sounds great. You can see on the stars as you walk along Remember, passes and tickets for the Annapolis Film Festival are available right now at AnnapolisFilmFestival.org. I've got mine. Now you need to go get yours, and I'll see you at the movies. Yeah.